Well, many are called to that great banquet feast, but few are chosen to be there. And as we consider our text before us from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, I'd invite you to turn there with me in your copy of the Word of God as we now turn to what He would have for us this morning. We have a feast before us with bread and wine. We will shortly come to that feast, which is uh, an emblem. It is a foretaste. It is even a part and parcel of that great banquet feast that we will have with him when Christ comes back and heaven comes down to earth and we eat with him face to face. What a glorious thing it is before us of this heavenly Jerusalem. What a beauty it is before us that he has invited us to, the likes of which our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor can our minds even imagine the great things he has in store for us. So won't you come? That's what he says. Beginning at verse 1, we have this parable. Let's begin reading. I'll go down through verse 14. Hear the word of God. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and the fatted calf are killed, And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him to outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Our gracious Father, as we contemplate this particular parable with the gravity of which our Lord spoke it in the context of Him entering Jerusalem only a few days away from His crucifixion, we pray that this day the Spirit of God would open up our hearts to be attentive, that our ears would hear the summoning call of our Savior, that our eyes could see his glory and be changed from glory to glory into his likeness. So we pray, our Father, that you would grant us to see the glory set before us and so desire to come to what you have prepared for us who are called. And pray that there would not be a single person here this day 
that would not have the touch of the Spirit of God. If there is anyone here that is not saved and regenerated, that you would use the preaching of the Word to change their hearts. For those who are wayward, may they hear the summoning call to come back. For those who are prepared and ready for the glorious feast, we pray that you would encourage our hearts and inflame them with all the greater energy to long for that time with great thanksgiving and gratitude while we yet wait. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of our biggest problems, if it's, it, it is the biggest problem we have as humans in our fallen condition, is that we willfully turn away from the goodness of God. We are so messed up in our minds and in our hearts and so depraved that the very best things that are set before us by our Creator are spurned. God has called us, called so many people to a tremendous festivity, the likes of which the world has never known, the glory of which can never be compared of anything that we could ever do. And, and so many simply refuse to come. And that's the essence of this parable set before us now. After Jesus had entered Jerusalem, only days now before his crucifixion. And this is the third of three parables that Jesus told now in this particular context. And all three of those parables had the one theme in mind, and that is rejection. That's the common theme. All three parables have communicated some aspect of the rejection of Christ, but each of those parables has something particular about them in the relationship between God and His people. The first parable we covered many weeks ago, which was chapter 21, verses 28 through 31, and that was when a father has two sons and he tells them both to go do something, and one father, one son says, I will go and do it, and yet he does it, and the other says, I don't really want to do it, but then he ends up doing it anyway. And here is a parable of rejection of a son to do the father's will, and we have this relationship of a father and a son. The second parable we find in chapter 21, verses 33 through 44, and this has the vineyard owner, which is God the Father. We have stewards and servants who reflect oftentimes the prophets bringing the message. We even have the son who is the heir of the vineyard. And this parable really sums up the entire history of the nation of Israel and that relationship they had with God in the rejection of God's Messiah. This third parable now is given to us Again, the theme is rejection like the other two, but here it doesn't matter of the relationship. No matter what that relationship was, the response was the same. The overture was always rejected. So there's not a single relationship that these people have in relationship to God, whether it be a son to a father 
or whether it be stewards of a vineyard owner, here we have an obligation to God the Father that they simply would not respond to. They would not do his will. And as we consider unlocking the passage before us, we, we, we need to find the key. And sometimes Jesus leaves the key at the front door of the passage, and other times he leaves the key at the back door of the passage. And here he leaves the key at the back door. At the very end of the passage, we have this one line in verse 14 that is really the key. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, a lot of theologians have gotten hung up on that particular verse. You have to remember, this is in the context of a parable, and in a parable we have to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate. But some have the difficult time accepting the fact that God's call is more broadly given than what he chooses of people to be saved. That's an old argument and debate that goes back a number of years. But others have a difficult time with God choosing anybody particular at all. And so the call goes out to everybody indiscriminately. And the choosing then comes into that very broad category that gets misunderstood as well. As we consider the key that unlocks this passage, we now go back from verse 14 And we go back through that particular parable and we consider this phrase or this term called. The first occurrence of that word call is in verse 3, where we see that he sent out his servants and he called those who were invited. The word invited there is the exact same word as called. Those the servants are to call those who were called, if you will. The word is changed there to reflect the aspect there, but it's the same word in the Greek. Verse 4, we have another um, of the same term, called. Verse 8, called. Verse 9, called to the feast. We have a number of occasions now that pulls this thing together about this calling. And that particular word has not been used in the previous parables. And so as we consider the emphasis of this particular call and this theme of this parable, it begins to set this parable apart from the others that have preceded it. It is a specific emphasis of this parable that he then ends this parable with that phrase, many are called, but few are chosen. So as we consider the parable before us as a matter of this introduction, it has to do with God's calling and the responses to that calling. In the first part of the passage, we actually have three responses given to God by those who were called in verses 3 through 6. It maybe helps us a little bit to understand in that particular era that many marriages were arranged, and in some cases, many years even before the event. We also understand that their marriages were even different in the way they 
orchestrated the events of the marriage. So it was taking place over some time, and as the bridegroom was working out the arrangements for the bride price with the father of the bride, and there would be a time in which it was unknown when the festivities would take place, but the guests knew who they were, and when the festivities were to take place, they were to be ready. We're going to come around to explain a little bit more in the parable of the, the ten um, uh, bridesmaids uh, that's coming up in the next couple of chapters. But it was a common theme for the people to be notified ahead of time who was on the guest list. Sometimes that would even happen through casual conversation or there was a particular expectation, uh, their family members, and there was this news that was going around, this buzz of the excitement that was about to happen. And those folks would be considered uh, on the guest list when that time comes, much oftentimes the way it is here. When we have a couple of our young adults getting married, it is almost implied that the, the church membership will be those on the membership or the invitation list. Now, when the happy day comes for that time to arrive, then those who were considered upon the guest list would be invited to the event. And that's the background here given in the context of this parable. The called people, those who had been called and listed on the guest list, they knew who they were, and now the occasion has drawn near, and those who are on the call list, so to speak, are being told, it's time to come, the event is here, come and rejoice Come to the thing for which you have been called. The first application of this, the Lord is dealing with his relationship with Israel. Israel was the nation who were the guest list. They were the called. They knew that they were on this list of expectations. That they were the expected people. Ethan's over there. Yeah, get the word out. (laughs) They were the expected people. The Messiah was for them. This was a nation that was chosen by God and reiterated throughout all of the Old Testament uh, scriptures from the choosing of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob over Esau. And we have the selection that God is favoring a people and then specifically distinguishing them out from and apart from the Egyptians, leading them out into the promised land and showing that these people had a special privilege of God himself. They were the ones who were called. They had this favored call so that when the day comes, the Messiah is theirs. He has this relationship with his people that he didn't have with others. Now, in the coming of Jesus, the called are called. The event has come. Now come. That's the idea. The kingdom here is likened into a king preparing a wedding feast for his son. Now, this is a royal wedding. This is a big to-do. And the prince is going to get married. 
Go and tell those who are invited now, time has come, so come. Come to this thing that the king has prepared. And there wasn't a response to that. The first response to the king's invitation, our Lord sums it up with one word in verse 3. Unwilling. The people were unwilling to come. This is a word that's a common word for will. It simply wasn't their desire to respond to the call. Their will was not God's will. God's desire for them was that they would come. That was not what they willed or desired to do. They did not have a corresponding desire to what God desired of them. And there was a clash of wills between God and His people. There was a conflict of desire. They, they weren't willing There's a second response here, given in verse 4. So when they weren't willing, the king then goes even another step. And I think this is just evidence of the, the grace and long-suffering of God himself. And he sent out other servants telling those who were invited, now, now see, I've made everything ready. The fatted calf is slain, the oxen are ready. And what he does here is he goes and he then persuades his guests to come. He refers to all of the pleasures of the event. All of the good things. He appeals to the beauty and the truth and the goodness and the glory and the festivities and the party. The abundance of good food. The prime rib is roasting. The steaks are on the grill. The brisket smoke is infusing into the air and the aroma is smelled for distant blocks away. All the sides are prepared. It's ready. It is ready. Come. No response. No response. Now, our Lord weaves a second consideration into the unresponsiveness of this invitation of God to come. It says they made light of it. They simply didn't care. The word here means, is a reference to caring about something. What the people are concerned with. What, what are the people concerned with? Well, they weren't concerned with the king's affair. They weren't concerned with the feast that he had made for them. They weren't concerned with the wedding of his son. They, they simply didn't care. They had no concern for the king's wedding celebration. The first time he called them and their response was they were unwilling. The second time he calls them, making it more appealing, more attractive, and they just didn't care. It's interesting that what Jesus describes of what they were caring about 
by not caring about this that had been prepared, is that they had other interests. It wasn't that they had bad interests. It wasn't that they were doing wrong things. It wasn't that they were all wrapped up in their, their wicked, uh, sinful things, although that's true for some people. But what he points to is something that was more valuable to them, even though some of the activity was good and right, and some of it was their responsibility. He's not identifying things that are unlawful here. So while people are enslaved to something here that is good and right, They wouldn't respond because they were preoccupied with even the things that were entirely lawful. But these things that were good and right got in the way of that which was more important. And there were values that were being judged. And these people were simply too busy with their own interests to care about coming to the great feast that the king has given for his son and that was prepared in context for the people that would be attending. And they could not align themselves here with the king's desire. They were unwilling to come and they simply didn't care to come. Now, we've had a lot of weddings over the past several years and we've had a lot of weddings with people of both men and women that have grown up in this church or have been in this church for, for a significant amount of time. And we've got some young couples here uh, now that uh, have started their families from these occasions. And these are big occasions for our church community. Weddings are generally very expensive events. And, and they're expensive primarily because of the context in whom they're prepared for in the context of the wedding guests coming. See, we could have a very cheap wedding without anybody coming. What fun would that be? It's not even a biblical picture of the grand and glorious occasion when Christ and his bride then are coming together and the great banquet of the wedding feast has come and the God the Father has prepared all of this. We, we love to have significant weddings and wedding events and celebration, and we all get into it. And there's a lot of work that's required. There's a lot of money that's being expended and all the details to accommodate all the guests are sometimes the most difficult things to manage. And yet it's a joyful event. And it's joyful to manage those events. And it's with great anticipation that all of the work and preparations are done because it will be an exciting time when we all come together and we see this couple come together and we rejoice at the reception and we raise our glasses to toast them and to the great goodness of God. And now imagine the two young adults coming together to get married and like that as all the preparations were made, the food is purchased, the logistics are in place, the servers are all lined up behind their tables, and everything is paid for, and everything is done and ready, and now we come to the wedding feast, and nobody 
comes. The steam is rising from the tables. All the expenditure, the food for the guest. But there's no one in line. If you were the one putting on that wedding, if you were the father of the son or the father of the bride, how would you feel? It wasn't because people were sick. They just didn't want to come. Now imagine yourself as your king over all of the land. You have jurisdiction over all of the people now on the wedding list. And your son, the prince, is getting married. And you pull out all the stops for all of the people in your realm to come and enjoy the feast of a lifetime. That's going to go on for longer than a simple night. It was common for wedding feasts to go on for over a month for royalty in this day. And in some cultures, that still happens. And yet your guests were just simply unwilling to come. They, they didn't want to come. They didn't care about coming. There were other things that they had to do, like there's a little bit more business they had to take care of, or they had a, a few more orders they had to fill, or there was soccer and frisbee or the symphony or a concert they had to attend, or they had other things around home they had to take care of that was more important to them than... Attending the great feast. Oh, they had already been notified ahead of time. They knew they were on the guest list. Just didn't have a desire. Other things got in the way. And that's the picture. That's the picture our Lord is painting in this parable. And that's the second kind of response. The first one is they're just unwilling to come. The second one is they just didn't care. But then there's a third response given in verse 6. And the rest were seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. There were some people that were on the guest list who were a part of the called, who turned violent on the servants and the messengers who came to press the invitation upon the people to come to the king's feast. Obviously, with the previous parables, we recognize these servants would be the prophets and others that God had raised up. See, it wasn't that these people were merely just unwilling or didn't care. They were, they were ugly and angry. And violent. And when the messengers of God pressed the invitation upon them, these people turned violent. They abused and they killed the messengers. Now, how would the king respond to that kind? Well, it shows us in verse 7, and he warns, gives them a warning here. But the king, when he heard about it, was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murders, and burned up their cities. And, and this is going to be a forewarning of that which is about to come shortly for the nation of Israel. We're going to see it in chapter 24. And when he says, oh, you look here at the temple, there's not going to be one stone that remains upon another. He gives them a warning throughout the, the Olivet Discourse. 
about all of the, the persecutions that are going to come and the judgment of God upon his people for rejecting his son's wedding feast. And it was all going to happen in one generation. We can look back now and see. Within one generation, the entire city of Jerusalem was going to be utterly destroyed by the Romans and burned with fire. Now when people refuse God, no matter what the reason is, there will be an eternal reckoning for that. But some people will pay a part in this life as well as for all of eternity. Now, that's not true for everyone. Everyone's going to have to reckon with God. God doesn't destroy everyone's business in this life, but he will some. God doesn't burn down everyone's house in this life, but he will some. Some people are going to pay a fearful price in this life as well as the next. And that is particularly true for those who respond violently against his call. We're going to pick that up as we move through Matthew. But let's now consider then in verse 8 what our Lord says of those who do not respond. He says, he said to the servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. That's how he characterizes people who do not respond. It didn't matter why they responded. It didn't matter what justification they had, what reason they had, good or bad. It didn't matter. The character of anyone who does not respond to God's invitation is he is unworthy. Unworthy. That's the character. Whether he is unwilling whether he is uncaring or whether he is violent. It didn't matter. They're all referred to as unworthy. And they showed themselves to be of that character, that nature. So no matter what excuse is given, no matter what was going on, if they didn't come, they were unworthy. That's how Jesus characterizes this. In the end, it really won't matter. God has been summoning people into his kingdom, and those invitations have gone out. And no matter what people's rationale is, it all amounts to the same thing. They haven't come. That's the point. They haven't come. It doesn't matter the reason now. They haven't come. And God has been summoning and inviting people to come, and they have not. And so the celebration and the festivity will not be theirs. They will be locked out of eternity. And the glorious feast. But then there's a shift in the plot. And so we find in verses 9 through 13 that there were some people who did come. Now, who are these people? Verses 9 through 13 begins to show us. They tell us the king tells us, now go out into the highways. Invite as many as you find, the good, the bad, the ugly. Right? It, it just, just invite everybody. The ones on the call list, they didn't come. And so now let's just, let's, we, the food is hot. Invite them in. And here's a major shift because he's explaining to the Jews 
how they as an entire nation, corporately speaking now, as a whole, they did not respond to the king. Now, that does not mean that individual Jews here and there have not responded. There have been many of those. But corporately as a people, they have rejected Christ. And for 2,000 years, they have been rejecting Christ, even to this day. Even though these people were on the special call list, they were unworthy to come to the king's feast. So the king sends his servants out into the streets for everybody now he could find. The servants have been calling people. They're driving down on the square and they're rolling the window down. Hey! And they tell about the, what's going on down. And he, he calls out to the loiters. Hey, we've got a great feast that the king has made. There's, there's steak and prime rib and brisket and chicken and, and whatever you can think of and imagine. It, it's prepared. There's folks wandering around unemployed, the loiters down on the park benches, the homeless, the ones hanging around that are doing good for nothing and sometimes even bad things. Hey, come, come, come on. The trustees walking around the town with their prison uniforms. Come on. Those walking down the sidewalks. Hey, let me tell you what's going on. Come on. It's out here. The old man sitting on the park bench feeding his pigeons. The, the mom with her kids pushing the swing in the park. Hey, come on. Come on. And the invitation goes out to everyone. Previously, not on the call list, whether they're good or bad. And the call went out now to the uncalled. And this is what the prophet spoke of and what we read earlier from Hosea. I will call them my people who were not my people. And beloved who were not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it is said of them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. You know who those people are? That's the Gentile people. That's you and me. This place is filled with the people that were not on the call list, who have called, been called and summoned, and we have come. It's speaking about the entirety of the whole Gentile nation and peoples. And the room this morning is filled with those people. And someday we will all stand before God the great king. And that's where we now turn in verse 11. And that's where the application of this passage now gets very personal. We've been speaking about the nation of Israel. We've been speaking about historic things that have happened. We now have turned to the Gentiles, but now it turns very personal where we are today. And we see in verse 11 through 13, when the king comes into the wedding feast, and he's coming along, and he's seeing the people, and he's talking with them, and, and all of a sudden he sees a man, and he stands out, and he doesn't belong there. And so he goes right up to this man who is standing out, and he begins to question him. And he finds a man who's not dressed appropriately for the occasion. He did not have on the garments fit for this occasion. Now this is not an instruction on how we are to dress and come to church. But how we are to 
but we are to understand that in every given culture, there are occasions which call for us to adjust ourselves in certain ways, even our apparel, to fit what is going on for the occasion. And in some cases, that adjusting of ourselves, even in what we, we, we put on in dress, is to show honor and respect that is appropriate for the occasion. And it is a right and it is appropriate for us to adjust ourselves to the occasion. Now, in our Lord's story, here's a man who has not given attention to that. He's come to the, he, he heard the call, he came to the call, he's at the wedding feast, but he's not given attention to the very thing that he should have, and it's, he stood out. He didn't belong there. And the king asked him about it. And verse 12 tells us he was speechless. Now that says a lot. Because the man doesn't have an explanation. He doesn't have an excuse. He doesn't have a justification. He was speechless. He had nothing to say. And the scripture is clear that there's nothing that any one of us can do to prepare ourselves or make ourselves acceptable before God. What the scripture teaches is that God provides everything we need for life and for godliness in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord. God provides everything we need for the occasion, for when we stand before Him. And at the great banquet feast, we have everything provided to us by God Himself. For all the festivities for eternity, God has given it to us. God has provided it to us. And in our state before God, we are required to be perfectly righteous before Him. But the Bible says that even our filthy rags, or, or, or even our righteousness, our very best is but filthy rags. We, we don't have that which we are required to. So God Himself provides that robe of righteousness. He provides the wedding garment for us in the righteousness of His Son, see. Why Isaiah 61 was saying, For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with the jewels. God has provided what we need. And so as this man comes to the wedding feast, the king was providing that which he was needed. And the man was speechless because he had no excuse to accept what the God, or at least the king, had provided to be a part of that festivity. He had no excuse. Everything had been provided for him. He simply did not adjust himself to receive it. In fact, he rejected it. And he stood out. And he was without excuse when confronted. And he was confronted. There was a deliberateness about his spirit. 
not to adjust himself to the king's terms and the character that was required to be at the feast. He had no excuse. So in verse 13, we see that this man is treated according to what he truly was. And as we read that verse, the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him to outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is great gravity and and fear and trembling in that verse. It's a dreadful and fearful thing. If you come to the king's great banquet, you must come on his terms and in the character which is fitting for his royal feast. That's the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the robe he has provided. It's the character of righteousness that he has revealed in his word, which he is working in you through the Spirit of God. Each one of us must accept these terms of his and adjust ourselves to what is fitting for the great king. And how joyful it is of a life when we adjust ourselves, when we die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus and know how glorious that call is. Can you imagine never making it into a glorious eternity that God has prepared for you? Never coming to the great feast and the banquet and all of the music and all of the triumph and all of the glory that's going on there simply because you are not willing to come? Or simply that you were just too busy with other activities so that you didn't care to come? Or you were so stubborn in your spirit that when God sends His messengers to press upon you the great matters of His, of his kingdom and His invitation to come, that you were hostile against the servants of God? Or perhaps you have associated yourself with those at the feast and have come to the table every Lord's Day and you sit in church all your life, but you really haven't the desire to adjust yourself to the character that God requires of you by receiving His truth and doing the will of the Father. Many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day, who will not be at the feast. And Jesus explains, because you did not do the will of my Father. I never knew you. Every one of these responses will be locked out of the great and glorious festivities of God's banquet. And there are some professing Christians who are sinning people who do not want to do the will of the Father, who do not want to obey His Word, who are willful against some parts of it and stand stubborn against it. And it is an evidence that they do not belong in the room. And the day will come when it will all be sorted out. The kingdom, as he had previously said, is like a big dragnet. It catches all kinds of fish, the good and the bad, and in the end, the angels will sort it all out and they'll throw all the bad out and all the good will be gathered in. Jesus now brings this parable down to one liner. It is the key of the passage here in verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. 
And this is speaking about God's gracious election of those He chooses to come to the great banquet feast. But God doesn't want us to be uncertain about this thing. He doesn't want us to go around constantly questioning the mysteries of God. Am I chosen? How do I know I'm elect? And and He doesn't want us just to, to argue with ourselves there. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to be diligent to make our calling and election sure. And you can be sure. It is evident who the chosen are. It's the way you deal with God's invitation. It's the way you deal with His Son. It's the way you deal with the banquet He's prepared for you. The question is, has your will changed? You were unwilling... But now you're willing. Has your concerns changed? You didn't have a care before, but now you care about the things of God. Has your response to God's servants changed? When they urged upon you the things of the kingdom, instead of responding with hostility or reservation or keeping ministers at an arm's length to those who are pressing upon you the good things of the kingdom of God, Now, have you completely changed and and positively embraced those responses to people like that? Has that changed in your life? In other words, have you truly come to the good things that God delights to have for you in Christ Jesus, His Son? Have you come, and is your true coming evidence of itself in the fact that there is something about you now that is different than it was before. A internal change where the Spirit has given you new desires, a new focus, a new energy, a new will in life. Are you the new creature in Christ that the Scripture promises for all those who have come? You have yielded to the adjustments that are required of you for the proper kingdom deportment. You fit the kingdom, and it's obvious. Not that you're sinless, but the things that God cares about, you care about. When God inspects the kingdom, it's apparent that you've got what it takes to be there because He's looking at His own Son's fitting robe for you. And He's looking at everything He has done in your life. And that's the way to deal with it. This old man is no longer that which is the main thing of your life. You're not the person you used to be. God has so many good things in store for us. It's simply aligning our will to love what he loves, to care for what he cares for. To delight in what He delights in. To desire more what He wants than what we think we want at the moment. God will give to us beyond all that you can ask or think if we but adjust ourselves to the deportment of the kingdom in trusting Christ His Son, and coming, desiring to come, loving to come, 
to the great feast that he has prepared for each one of us. The question is, is Jesus your greatest treasure? And do we align ourselves with his character by obeying the gospel? It's the greatest delight we could ever know. Let's come to the feast. Let's come to the feast. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts with your spirit now and the application that is upon us. The word has been preached and only the spirit now can work in the hearts to press upon the very specific need each one has. There may be some among us here today who have never responded to the invitation to come to the great banquet, to come to Christ. We pray that your conviction would be burning hot in their hearts and in their minds. And now, as they turn their affections upon Christ and call upon the Lord to save them, that you would give them the peace of God that passeth understanding, to know that they are accepted in Christ Jesus, the beloved. We pray for those who have been resisting the great call of the banquet, that you would work. Lord, even among Christians here today who have grieved the Holy Spirit because they are hanging on to an idol in their life or something that they are willfully not giving up in order to come more readily to the will of God and embrace all that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would release their hands and the grip from that idol and have them turn everything over to the Lordship and dominion of Jesus Christ and give them of great peace. Lord, we pray that you would give us a great anticipation of the glorious feast that's set before us, where Christ and his church descends down out of heaven as this new Jerusalem, the bride which has made herself ready. And as heaven comes down to the earth in that glorious picture that we see in Revelation 21 and 22, we pray that that would be our longing. And so give our lives in this life for everything to prepare for that time. Whatever you've called us to do, may we be faithful. May we be humble servants to do according to your will so that your will will be done in our lives here on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord Jesus, come. Come. We are ready to feast. We are ready for the banquet. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.